1: Hi, I'm Daniel, producer here at Intelligence Squared. For this episode of the Intelligence Squared podcast, we had Daphna Joel, the Israeli neuroscientist, interviewed by Roz Irwin of the Sunday Times, and it was a conversation about Daphne's theory, which is that there's no difference between the male and the female brain. Daphne has a book out called Gender Mosaic, Beyond the Myth of the Male and Female Brain, and we hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode. If you do enjoy the episode, please make sure to review and rate on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to find the show and it lets us know what you think.
0: Hello, I'm Rosamund Derwin, a journalist for the Sunday Times, and welcome to this week's Intelligence Squared podcast. You can sign up for regular updates about podcasts and other events at IntelligenceSquared.com. I'm here with Daphna Joel. Welcome first of all. Thank you. I wanted to start with what people mean when they talk about a male or, or female brain. I mean we hear we've heard f- for This dreadful phrase, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and people sometimes talk about pink brains and blue brains. What is it that people mean and what are they suggesting are different about men and women's brains?
2: Wow, I think it's a great question to start with because I don't think people really think through when they talk about a male brain and a female brain or men from Mars, women from Venus. I think what people usually do that they take differences that exist between men and women, brain behavior, cognitive abilities, etc., differences that exist at the group level, and then they implicitly assume that these differences add up within individuals to create t- two types of humans, two types of brains. But they do this implicitly. So usually people go from the finding that there are differences to this assumption that humans or brains come in two types
0: and we all know we we all have this bad habit and actually you admit this in the book that you yourself right at the beginning you say well you had this plumbing issue and uh, you invite over your male neighbor and of course he has no clue either but we all tap into those stereotypes which is effectively what they are um what why do you think they're so ingrained in all of us and how do we escape them i guess That's again, again, a great question. So yeah, we live in a
2: society and therefore we are aware of all the stereotypes and we incorporate these stereotypes and we cannot see the world not through these stereotypes. We really have to work very hard to get rid of the stereotypes, or at least to be more aware that we are seeing the world through these stereotypes, and then trust less our perception which is very difficult to do because we don't have an alternative on alternate perception. So I think being aware is the best thing to do. I think the most dangerous people are people that say, I don't see gender. I don't see color. I don't trust these people. We all see color. We all see gender. The only thing we can do is not, not to behave through these biased perceptions.
0: Has studying this and then writing a book about it made you really think about that and have you found yourself changing the way you look at the world because you actually study all these elements? So
2: first I think I I managed to see how biased my perception is. So I, for example, have three boys. My sister, she has three girls. And one of her, her youngest child, she used to be in the circus as a you know like after school so she was really really very sporty very very good at this and two of my youngest children and her they went climbing a tree and I was almost calling her to say you know be careful when I realized she shouldn't be careful she she, she would be great at this and the only reason I had this tendency to you know be, tell her be careful is because she was a girl so I became very aware of my own biases and then I tried to stop and and just not to behave it and say, you know, if she was she were a boy or if a boy were a girl, would I treat them differently?
0: We know there are obviously some physical differences between the sexes. So obviously men tend to be taller, although we know it's a spectrum. Uh, men tend uh, to be more muscular. Why do you think people have have assumed that this must therefore extend to the brain? And in what ways does it extend to the brain?
2: I think the main physical difference that we think extends to the brain is the genitalia and that they almost always come in one of two distinct forms male or female genitalia and it's quite rare to have someone with intersex genitalia and I think this is where the binary comes from and we assume that the gender the, the sex categories extend to the body and then to the brain behavior etc so the problem is the binary that extends throughout everything
0: you have a lovely line in the book where you make the point that the sameness of our brains goes unreported whereas it's the differences that everyone fixates on and i wonder how you think that has sort of played out do you think that means that any difference there is has been massively overstated in people's brains or between the sexes
2: I think the differences. First, the, we look at the differences and ignore the similarities. And then, for features that do show differences, we ignore the overlap between men and women in everything, in the brain, and of course in behavior, cognitive abilities, etc. So our focus on on the difference is uh, the problem. And and again. Formulating the difference in terms of a binary, because a difference doesn't have to be two types. It can be, you know, in overlap and some difference in the average or in means. The problem is the binary perception it is always a binary perception because we are all different. That's not a problem. The problem is posing the question, are we the same or are we different? People sometimes ask me, so are you saying that men and women are the same? And my answer to this, no one is the same. We are all different. But knowing the sex category of a person gives you very little information
0: about her or his brain and behavior. What about hormones and all this? What effect, if any, do hormones have on our brains? So hormones
2: do have an effect on the brain, both testosterone and estradiol, progesterone, they all have effects on the brain. But how they affect the brain depends on other factors and may be opposite under different conditions. And that's a huge difference between sex effects on genitalia and sex effects on the brain. Because on genitalia, the effects of the hormones uh, during, um, in utero are always the same. But in the brain, they could be completely opposite. And this is why even if you know that someone had, let's say, high testosterone levels, you cannot predict the form of her or his brain on the basis of this, whereas you could predict the form of his genitalia.
0: And you talk about the impact of stress. There's a really interesting study uh, that I want you you to tell us all about. But do you think that men and women do handle stress differently as well?
2: So there are two things. So let's start with the last question. So studies in, in humans, uh, again, stress the differences in coping with stress between men and women. But again, these are group level differences. And, uh, so when you look at individuals, they may have, if you want, feminine and masculine components of how they, react to stress. So this is, again, the mosaic also in the response to stress. And we have actually even tested this in the human brain. And so that the way the brain changes with stress, extreme stress uh, in each individual is a unique mosaic of female typical and male typical responses to stress, even in the human brain. But I think the study that you are referring to is uh, what started me on this topic. And this is how stress affects the brain of animals has been known for a long time to sometimes show differences between males and females. But no one realized that this also means the opposite. So how sex affects the brain can be opposite in under stress condition or no stress condition. And this is what I realized. And when I looked, I saw that there are many studies like this showing that uh, the differences between males and females, and we're talking animals, no gender, we're talking sex, uh, the differences between males and females may be opposite if you change the external conditions. And the most studied
0: uh, conditions are usually stress. How much hair so you've got a lot of studies in animals, and how much can we actually written about in the book? How much can we actually take from the behaviour of animals? So there's a study in rats about the impact of testosterone. I mean, does that actually relate to us at all? Because as you rightly have just pointed out, we're very highly socialised uh, creatures. We, you know, the impact of socialisation is very profound on humanity. Whereas you know, there's less of a, a gendered nature to you know, that we see in animal species clearly. So we cannot take anything directly from
2: animals and project to humans. But what we can take from animals is principles. And what you see in animal studies is this principle that no one was paying attention to. And this is how sex hormones, how sex, uh, um, uh, sex-related sex genes, how they affect the animal brain can be opposite under different conditions. Usually we think that sex is binary and then gender is messing everything, you know, in humans. But this is not true. Sex itself, this is a characteristics of sex, that how it affects the brain can be different. And it's a huge difference between sex effects on brains in animals and sex effects on their genitalia. Of course, when you move to humans, you have this basic principle. And then on top of this, you have socialization, you have everything.
0: You talk about in the book how this, the brain region central to emotions was for many years considered to be actually larger in men than in women. Yet we've always assumed, you know, men are the less emotional of the sexes. Now, it's very interesting this because I wondered why you think no one thought that had an impact. And actually, of course, it's now been proved not to be true anyway. But why was that never argued as, well, hang on, this must mean something very profound about the differences between the sexes?
2: But this is the essence of the myth. It always explains current social order. It never explains something else. So when, for example, it was found that the women's brains are on average larger compared to the body size than men's brains, no one said, well, then women are actually the superior sex intellectually, and we should immediately change social structure to reflect this. So never, never the myth. This is why you can suspect the myth because it never claims that actually the word is wrong
0: because science says otherwise. It always explains current social order. I wanted to ask a bit about the history of studying brains. So when people first sort of came across The ideas, uh, well, so back in the 17th, 18th century, you know, the the sort of egalitarian ideas started to spread. Now, you're quite right in in pointing out that no one immediately said, well, hang on a minute, women and men must be perfectly equal um, then. But instead, they used the science as a way to justify inequality. And I wondered what you think in terms of when you look back at that history, um, what was it they were getting wrong? So it's just interesting, I think, to note that they
2: were using science not just to justify women inequality, but also according to race, socioeconomic status, etc. And these all disappeared. I don't think no one today would dare argue that uh, the poor are poor because something is wrong with our brains. But the myth of the male and female brain persisted. It only changes, but it persists. So it was used to justify many inequalities. And in humans, uh, in the beginning, it was easy because they found out that the skulls of men are larger on average than the skulls of women. So this was a great explanation to men's superior uh, intelligence. But then they realized that some animals, such as whales, also have larger, much larger skulls than humans do. And of course, they didn't want to justify whale superiority over men. So they came up with this idea of their ratio. And indeed, when you look at the ratio, then humans have the larger, largest uh, skull to body size ratio in the animal kingdom. But then they found out that women actually have larger skulls relative to body size than men. And this is what I'm saying. No one concluded that then, then women must be more intelligent. So they came up with another explanation. And you can see how it. And I do this in the book. I, I show how along the you know how when science. Uh, progressed, and they had better measures to measure the brain, and all the time, it's the same. They think that this region is relevant to intelligence, and they find out that it's more developed in men, and then it changes. So the myth follows the science, and always follows the current social status.
0: You make the point that that the differences, sorry, the similarities are greater than the differences. But if you were to look at brain scans would you be able to tell what sex somebody was? Right. This is a great question because, yes, you can. So if you look at the
2: brains and if you have enough information of uh, someone's brain, you can predict with quite good accuracy whether this someone is male or female. But this is usually not the prediction that you want to do because usually you just look at someone and you can know whether this someone is male or female. You don't need you know uh, expensive MRI images for this what you cannot do is the opposite. So if I know you are female, and usually I know, I cannot predict your unique brain mosaic. And that's the point. And not only that I cannot predict your unique brain mosaic, I have no clue in what ways you are similar to my brain, or different from my brain, and from or anyone else's. And Another thing I want to say, it's not so much about um, saying that we should stress the similarities and not the differences. The mosaic builds on the differences. So we take only the differences, ignore the similarities. And what we show is that each person have a mixture of these, if you want, differences. So everyone has both male typical and female typical features. So we are looking at the differences, but show that they do not add up consistently
0: to create two types. How did you come up with a mosaic idea as a sort of reference point that it's very easy to understand for people? Why was it that you thought that was the best sort of way of explaining what our brains are like?
2: You mean the term? Was yes. Well, I started actually with claiming that brains are not male or female. They are intersex because this is the term we use when we talk about genitalia that do not fit in into one of these categories. But uh, intersex activists asked me not to use this term because they said we you know, had to put so much effort to make this term known and used that we don't want it to be used for other things like the brain. And I said Yes, sure, for of course, and then I came up with a mosaic. I
0: don't know maybe because mosaics are very common in Israel. I don't know. Uh, at what age do you think you can spot? I mean, you start to see the impact of socialization in terms of children's behavior? I mean, how early do girls start behaving in a stereotypically girly way? Not all of them, of course, uh, and boy but but theoretically. When does that start showing, and what does that tell us about brain development? Liz Elliott wrote
2: a perfect book about this called "The Blue Brain, Pink Brain," and there she, you know, covers this issue. So I can, you know, cite from her. And what she shows is that most differences do not appear before the age of two or three, or even later.
0: And why do you think it is that after all these years of human history and after such a move, I mean, admittedly, only in the last part of our history towards equality of the sexes, why is this like the last sort of uh, bastion of, uh, of well, I guess sexism, neurosexism, that's what some people have called it. Why are we do we stay so wedded to this view after so many other ideas get challenged?
2: I'm not sure I know the answer, but if you read the... Um Londa Schiebinger's uh, book, uh, Does the Mind Have Sex?, then you see that throughout history, I mean, she covers uh, history when science was, so since the uh, 17th century. Throughout throughout history, there were these myths, and then people were challenging the myths, and then again the myth was overcoming. So it's a continuing fight. And I agree that we, you know, huge progress in the last uh, 100 years, but we are still in this fight. And why are we
0: fighting? Why are people holding so strongly to this binary? I don't know. Well, you suggest at one point that it's serving a sort of political and social agenda. Do you think that's still true today? I mean, you say historically, that was the case. It's also
2: true today, but I don't think it's explicit. I don't think someone, you know, is going around and say, I want the binary to be there and I will fight it. I don't think it it acts this way, but it just perpetuates itself. The society is built As if we were belonging to two distinct categories, not just in terms of the form of our genitalia, but in terms of our brain behavior, etc. And it's really difficult to change social structure. No one has to fight this back. Just very difficult to change because everything is built according to this myth of the two types
0: of humans. And now it's time for a quick break.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, because whether you're thinking about challenges big or small, let's not dress it up, life can be pretty stressful, so it's healthy to have a place to discuss those thoughts and share what's on your mind. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash intelligence today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash intelligence. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared.
0: One of the sort of arguments on the other side that's often used is is relates to autism, and obviously autism is found more commonly in men, but obviously is still found in women, incidentally, and perhaps might be underdiagnosed perhaps in women because people are less likely to expect it. But why is that sort of used as a counterexample and and how do you address that?
2: So there is a theory, the extreme uh, male brain hypothesis of autism. And according to this theory, human brains are aligned aligned along a male-female continuum and autistic brains are towards the extreme male brain. But what we show is that human brains are not aligned along this continuum. A a better imagery of how human brains are organized in space is if you imagine a three-dimensional space. So most human brains are in this central, very dense cloud. Most of us are there. And around this central cloud, you can imagine a much sparser periphery. And in this periphery, there are some regions that have more men than women. Other regions have more women than men. Still other regions have similar numbers of men and women. And what we suggest is that psychopathology of different... So, for example, you see depression, not just autism, there are gender differences. So they... How we explain sex differences in psychopathology is in these differences in what we call rare brain types. So most people, including most men, they are not autistic. They don't have autism. But of the few or relatively few that do have autism, you can find more men than women. So, for example, of the people that have depression, you can find more women than men. But it doesn't mean that the typical
0: women brain is a little depressed. But do you think an element of this, and maybe I'm totally wrong here, but is it that we're more likely to think boys, we're more likely to jump to that solution with boys presenting with a problem, or with women presenting with depression? Is there not an element of the socialisation affecting even diagnosis? Yeah, of course you're right. But what what I'm saying
2: when we see a brain we don't know if it's a result of socialization or it's pre-programmed to be this way. And probably it's an interaction. So the the fact that we see more uh, women with uh, depression than men, it can be a combination of many factors, some genetic, some uh, hormonal, and some social, uh, in terms of diagnosis, in terms of the environment that men and women live in. So maybe some of the depression of women is you know, a very reasonable reaction to the social situation. So I don't pay attention to all of this, not because it's not important, but because the question I am asking is different. Is the typical uh, female brain a little depressed? And what we showed in our studies is it not that, no, the that typ- the brain types that are typical of women are also typical of men and vice versa. And you see sometimes large sex differences only in rare brain types, which may, because we haven't tested it, which may correspond to
0: some specific conditions like autism, depression, etc. I want to talk about the impacts that this binary approach has. And you say in the book that it can actually obstruct medical research. In what ways is that the case? And what are the problems it creates? Us taking, assuming that the brains are so, the brains of the sexes are so different. So one is what
2: you said, if we know that something is a female disease or a male disease, then we are likely to overlook it in someone else. And we know from cardiovascular disorders that women are likely to get diagnosed later than men. And of course, it, you know, it can be life-threatening. So this is one thing. The other thing is the assumption of the binary. If we assume that people in terms of hormones, weight, etc., come in two sets, then we are wrong and humans also in terms of the sex-related biological variables are also mosaic. And we need to learn how to to study sex-related factors, not in a binary way. Another last point that I will mention here is that usually when we find a sex difference, we immediately attribute it to sex. But sometimes it's a different variable that correlates with sex. So it can, again, if we go back to the cardiovascular system, often it is height, because height correlates with the elasticity of uh, the blood vessels. And of course there is a sex difference in height, but it's not the sex that is causing the effect, it's the height that is important. So this is just an example of how we can mistakenly attribute something to sex when it's
0: actually related to other factors. And what about the impact? In terms of society, so you talk in the book about binary brainwashing and how we're all sort of made to think certain things about a person when we only know the, when the only information we have is their sex. How on earth, it's an enormous question this, do we go about unpicking that and addressing that? So
2: I always like the analogy because it seems, it seems unsought so that we cannot even think about this. So I like the analogy to handedness. And not so long ago, left-handed people were considered... Not as smart, not as capable as right-handed people, and there were studies showing that they are discriminated against in hiring for work. There were studies of the brain to see what's wrong with the brains of left-handed people. Uh, children that were using their left hand were, you know, children, uh, parents or teachers would tie their left hand so they would have to use the right hand. We still have it in language, so we have the right le- hand and the left, which is the wrong hand, and this. Just disappeared. I don't know when. When I was a child, this was still there, but it just disappeared. And now no, no one will, you know, think twice whether you are left-handed or right-handed. All the social meaning of handedness disappeared, although handedness itself did not. Mm-hmm. There are still people that are right-handed and some that are left-handed. And sometimes it is important. So if you you go to class and you are left-handed, you need a chair with the right uh, desk. Or if you go to buy scissors, you need to buy the ones for right-handed or left-handed people.
0: Well, it's funny because when I think back to being a child myself, I thought it was cool to be left-handed and I was really envious <laughs> of the kids that were. Um, but actually, of course, it's quite awkward to write for them. And there were various things that actually were a little bit trickier. But at the same time, yeah, I thought they were the cool kids. So, right. <laughs> so an idea can shift quite quickly. Right. So this is my vision for sex, that sex categories, they will not go
2: away. Some people will be born with male genitals, others with female genitals, some will with intersex genitals. But the social meaning of the form of one genitals, this should go away. There is no reason to treat people according to the form of their genitalia except for very specific situations.
0: So your idea would be that sex ends up being something like height or weight, where it's just a sort of physical characteristic. Right, or like handedness, like colour of the eyes, right. And you say we all suffer from the gender binary. In what ways do you think uh, each of us is being sort of damaged by how separate we see the sexes are? So if we take this... At the starting point
2: that we all belong to a highly heterogeneous population of humans, each a different mosaic. So we take this enormous variability in humans and we try to squeeze it into two little boxes, boys and girls, women and men. And of course, none of us really fits into one of these boxes. Some suffer more from being squeezed into the box. Others, you know, are more flexible and they can adapt. But we all have to give up things that we like because they are not appropriate for our gender or we don't give them up. But then we pay a social price for pursuing whatever we like to do if it's considered socially inappropriate. So in this sense, we all pay a price. And of course, there are other prices of the gender binary, like ge- gender harassment, sexual harassment. But you know, you don't need me to talk about this.
0: In what ways do you think men suffer as well? Because I think we tend to talk more, we, we tend to assume these are issues that, that affect women and you talk in the book about your own, um, when, you, when you were doing your PhD, how you didn't put your name on it, you put your initials. Um, so people couldn't make assumptions uh, based on your sex. But what ways do men suffer? So I think boys and men also suffer a lot from the
2: gender binary because also it puts a lot of demands on them. So boys cannot cry. They cannot express emotions. And there are studies now showing that men pay a price for this because if the only outlet for your emotions is being violent, Mm. then you will be violent. And of course, violence is not well tolerated and rightly so in our society.
0: Do you think this is improving? So one thing I feel has actually got worse, and this may not be in every country, of course, but one thing that's got worse over the last uh, probably 20 years is the way we treat children. So what's often described as a pinkification of girlhood and, and, you know, sort of you go to the toy shop and there are boys' toys and girls' toys. Now, when I was a child, that had gone. I mean, it's come back at full force Um, But are we improving in this or do you think there are areas we're getting worse generally? So I
2: think it's interesting because on the one hand, surely we are improving in terms of women are allowed and can get to much more disciplines and works and careers, etc. than they could in the past. Uh, But then on the other hand, we see much more gendering. in in younger uh, children so also when I was growing up we didn't have this pink and blue and toys were most of them were for everyone and now they even have Lego for boys and girls and Monopoly for boys and girls which is ridiculous and bicycles for boys and girls so we see this too so maybe it's a reaction because the world becomes when we are adults become more open in a sense then we are gendering the children even more so so they don't you know mix up or that they know what they are because we really want to keep the binary and the world around us is quite confusing because it's in a way much more non-binary today
0: well I think that because we tell children hey you can be anything you want to be and then put them in a pink dress exactly yeah that does feel that we've we've rather confused the message there what about in children have you looked at children's brains at all I personally haven't, but the studies I did,
2: you find very, very little differences in the uh, brains of uh, newborns and babies and children. The main difference being uh, the size difference that you see already at birth. Again, on average, the brains of uh, baby boys are larger than the brains of baby
0: girls. But as soon as people know what sex a child is, they may treat it differently, of course. Right. But yeah, yeah. So the external element might start young, even if there's no difference internally.
2: Right. But I I want to stress that I really don't know whether the differences that we are seeing in adults are the result of nature or nurture. We have no way of telling. We will know this only when we have a gender-free world. And in a gender-free world, there may be differences between humans with male and female genitalia, and there may not be. The issue would be that we wouldn't care about the differences. And my main point is, why should we care? Let's say it was all nature. So what? If you like something, your child likes something, why should you care whether this something is more common in people with blue or brown eyes? You wouldn't. So why should you care whether it's more common in people with male or female genitalia?
0: And how likely do you think it is that we could create this gender-free world? When we have we are so sort of wedded to that binary, aren't we? It's so nice that it's only up to us. Yeah. What are the conditions that would be needed to create that, do you think? How on earth do you go about changing things to create that? Well, one of the reasons I wrote this book is
2: to get these ideas to, you know, as many people as possible because I think many people can easily relate to the idea of the mosaic because it, and this, it explains why we see group-level differences but why individually we all feel like a mosaic of characteristics. And I think that once you start realizing this, then you are really ready to give up on the binary. And again, I'm saying it's, it's really up to us. And some changes are already happening uh, to take out... Marking sex, male or female, on specific forms. Why is it important when I fill in a customs form, whether I'm male or female? It's not important. So just to stop using these terms, even the terms boys and girls, when I say boys and girls, actually I'm saying human with male genitalia and humans with female genitalia. Sounds awkward. Why should I mention someone's genitalia when I'm just referring to humans? So stop using these terms, men, women, boys, girls, try to get rid of, you know, her, his. So in English, it's actually quite easy. It's much more difficult in language like Hebrew when everything has gender. But... We just need to start getting rid of the
0: sex categories wherever we can. You're making me imagine how I'd write a newspaper without anybody's <laughs> sex in it. And I think it would actually be quite tricky. Perhaps you do, you're right that it's easier in English. But, I mean, it's a, the primary thing that we tell somebody about, anybody that we write about. The first thing is she, he, you know, in the same way that we always put people's ages in. It's just seen as something that that immediately clicks in people's brains. You know, they're per- perhaps conjuring a picture of a person reading a story it would be an incredibly radical change to remove that from everything
2: but should this, this you know distract us from doing this getting rid of, get, getting rid of color was also a massive um, it's not an achievement because we are not there mm. yet but we are trying as a society and i think we have you know gone a very long way so sex category is another social category that we should get rid of
0: okay thank you very much it's been fantastic chatting thank you